0: Hey there. At the moment, I am studying statistics at university and I really need to focus on that. So while I do that, I thought it would be great to share 10 episodes from the first 52 from the first year that you may not have heard if you're a new listener and that I think you will love. Also, when I come back from my study time, I would love to make this the best podcast for you. So, I'd love for you to check out the survey that is linked in the show notes, or you can find it over on my Instagram, so that when I come back, I can create the show that you really want. Thanks so much for your support and understanding during this time. Statistics is not my jam, and I'm looking forward to it being over. I'll be back soon. Hi, I'm Claire Riley, and welcome to MS Understood. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in April 2017. At the time, all I wanted to do was get on with my life, put my head in the sand and privately listen to real people's stories about living with this unpredictable disease. I was deep in denial, terrified about the unknown ahead and I felt really alone. So here it is, MS Understood, conversations with real people from all walks of life who live with MS. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that this episode of MS Understood was recorded across multiple lands. I recognise and acknowledge that all of Australia is Aboriginal land and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: You know, I, I'm on the NGIS, and um, I use the spoon theory and, you know, I do what I can do. I don't push myself. I get someone else to do it. I outsource
0: Today on MS Understood, we chat with public speaker, Resilience Coast, artist and medical advocate, Justine Martin. We had a really great chat and we talked about how her life has done a complete 180 since diagnosis. We speak about how her art has changed her life, how she's not on medication at the moment and why. I really love to answer to my, what's the best thing to happen to you because of your MS question. So be sure to stick around until the end of the episode to hear that. Hi, Justine. Thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me today. You're welcome, Claire. Um, I wanted to chat with you, obviously, about MS. That's what we talk about. And um, you've got a pretty, we just had a brief chat. You've got a, you're doing a lot of amazing things, but I always love to start the story with a, or start the podcast with a diagnosis story. So if you could share yours, that would be great. Sure.
1: Um, Well, I've been living with MS since I was nine years old. I didn't have it then. Um, My mum was diagnosed uh, when she was 33. And we were always told um, that we would never get it when we were growing up, um, that it wasn't hereditary. Well, it's not hereditary. But as we know, if there's a genetic predisposition, if all the environmental factors are in place, well, then Uh, You know, you can uh, develop it. Um, So I was uh, about six months off 40 and had developed some vision problems. Um, Went to my uh, GP for another issue and just mentioned that um, my vision was blurry. Now, my vision had been blurry. Uh, in around about 2002 and I put it down to the mascara and the eyeliner that I was wearing but when it happened in 2010 I wasn't wearing mascara or eyeliner I'm like oh I've had this before and um, 2007 I couldn't raise my arm above my head and so there were various things you know throughout my adult life and put it down to other things as we do so I went to um Uh, just the GP and two years earlier I had a lump in my neck and they gave me an MRI and it turned out I had a cyst behind my right eye and he said, oh, have you ever um, had that investigated? And I went, well, my ENT guy said that, you know, it's fine um, because I think you need to get it looked at straight away. And um, within 24 hours I was sitting in a neurosurgeon's office and that scared the shit out of me. Um, because you only go to a neurosurgeon when they're going to cut your brain open. And um, anyway, he sent me on a course of um, more MRIs and um, to the uh, ophthalmologist. It came back that I had um, lesions in my brain and I knew exactly what that meant. Um, I've been a hemoplegic migraine sufferer since I was 15, so instantly they started saying it was my migraines that had caused them because that can also cause scarring in the brain. And um, went to the ophthalmologist, and when my vision worked, it was 2020, um, but it would be intermittent, and there was no set patterns or of, of when it was uh, when it would go. So for me, it was like wearing a pair of glasses and then someone smeared vaseline over them, and you can't see, but you can make out shapes. That's but-
0: such a good description because I feel like so often. For people in our position, there's no ways of describing what you're going through, but to have that, like it's so visual, we yeah. get it. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and it was really quite scary and, you know, one episode had happened when I was driving and my daughter, we were on the Polyfarmer freeway and my vision went and um, she had to kind of guide me off the road and we sat there for ages uh, for it to come back. And so then they told me I was having cluster cluster migraines and I said well you know I'm not getting any pain why is it happening something else is going on then they put me on um Tegritol no Topamax they put me on Topamax first um and told me to come back in three months so I, off I went and I went back in three months and, of course, I was no better. I was starting to have cognitive problems. I found I couldn't count anymore. Um, I couldn't multitask, which was really frustrating in the job um, that I was in. I'd worked my whole career and had my dream job, had recently got engaged and life was supposed to be really, really good. And then all this, you know, came tumbling around me
0: And you didn't think, like you, obviously you grew up, like you said, from when you were nine with MS, you didn't think no one kind of put two and two together and jumped to it really quickly? It still sounds like such a long It
1: was a long test. Yep. Um, And they weren't listening to me. So the first question I asked at the neurosurgeon's office was, do you think this is MS? And he's like, no, 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 no. Off to the ophthalmologist. Ask the ophthalmologist, do you think this is MS? No, no, not my place to say. You'll have to go back to your... um, the neurosurgeon. Then the neurosurgeon got to the point where he couldn't help me anymore. He goes, no, you really need to go see a neurologist. And that's when, you know, a week later I was sitting in the neurologist's office and the first thing I asked him was, do you think this is MS? My mum's got MS. My cousin's got MS. My mum's my cousin's got MS. Um, you know, there's four of us now in the family that are biologically related and then there's two that are um, in-laws as well. So there were six of us. And um, it was still, no, no, it's your migraines, it's your migraines. And um, I then waited until went back and saw him a couple of days before Christmas in 2010, and he goes, look, I think, I think you need another MRI. I went, all right. So my son was going off to the Army, and my neurologist was going back to South Africa. So he goes, well, we'll wait until February to have it until I'm back, you know, it's like you've got to put your life on hold. So yeah. it was, I had it all, um, and then um, come back in and see me. Well, um, I waited until March to actually have it because my son enlisted in the Army on the 28th of um, February and I knew that I was going to be diagnosed with it and he wouldn't go off to the Army if, um, mm-hmm. that it happened but if I was diagnosed after he'd already enlisted you know he was yeah. there so um, uh, about a week it was around about my birthday I had another MRI and then a couple of weeks later um, walked into the neurologist office at 8 30 in the morning my fiance at the time was away working in the mines, so I had no family in Western Australia I had a good girlfriend that she came with me and I can't. I can remember him mouthing it, but not actually hearing it, and my whole world instantly changed from that second on. Life as I knew it um, didn't exist anymore. It was different. Yeah. But that was when I was diagnosed, and then um, I had. I was deteriorating um, at quite a fast rate because by that stage, um, my face was numb. Um, I kept biting the inside of my mouth. Um, I couldn't raise my arm, um, my left arm, um, and I had trouble walking um as well. And so then they um we I went in to have um steroids, but they wouldn't give me the steroids until they'd done the lumbar puncture. And um Then they left me in a hallway when they'd done the lumbar puncture and I'm one of these people that their blood pressure just drops right down and that was terrifying being left in a hallway with no one there and a nurse walked past me and goes, are you all right? And I'm like, no, I'm not feeling all right at all. And it wasn't. My blood pressure was 80 over 50, so no, I was not in a good state. And um, then I had to wait for the results that come back and then, um, yeah. But, you know, the doctor never apologised to me for calling it wrong. The day that he told me I had MS, he's like, he never said, oh, I'm sorry. And
0: you've been waiting. And you went, like, it sounds like you went from having vision problems quite quickly to, yeah. you know, all these, the arms and the numbness. And, like, that's just a, such a huge yeah. difference. Um, do you think it was any easier? I mean, you can never know because you weren't in either position. But having had your mum have, and so many family members, I don't know, or I didn't know anyone else with MS when I was diagnosed at all, um do you think that having those people that you knew having MS you kind of had a I mean depending on how their state was but you had a bit of a judge of how life might look so I was terrified um but not a good future like not a good outlook necessarily no
1: so my mum um my mum died in 19, 1997. She died about 12 months after beta-feron came on the market and she was secondary progressive by then. So she'd had it for 17 years and um, she she had no quality of life left at all. She also gave up life um, and, I mean, you got to fight this every step of the way and she didn't. She stopped. She stopped fighting and she really started to deteriorate. And she um, never drank water, she never exercised, she smoked. Um, So all the bad things she did and she didn't help herself. So that was the one thing that I took out of like her journey was it wasn't going to be my journey. And I would do absolutely, absolutely everything I I could um, to remain with a quality of life. And, And that's been my whole thing for the last 10 years is it's quality of life.
0: So what did you change in your life from when you got that diagnosis, when you finally got that diagnosis? What have you changed since then?
1: Um, Oh, God. Well, I had to stop work. Um, What was your
0: dream job? You said you had your dream job. Yeah, so I was a program
1: director for Jenny Craig. Yeah, wow. Um, been in the weight loss industry for 10 years. So I used to be morbidly obese, used to sit on about 125 kilos, um, and I'm now proudly sitting on about 78 kilos. So uh, yeah, wow.
0: uh,
1: in the last 10 years I have put a little bit back on. I put on 20 kilos and, and took it off again, but that was through a, a cancer journey in the middle of all of this as well. So yeah. Um, Look, I've changed my attitude towards life. I've changed um, definitely what I eat. Um, I don't eat any high refined um, carbohydrates. Well, I try and limit them as much as I can. I don't drink fruit juices, no extra sugar in anything. I'll eat fruit. Um, Pretty much I eat primary foods, not secondary foods. That's the easiest way. I don't follow any of the... The proper ms diets that are out there i believe um you find what works for you and this works for me and it's lots of fresh fresh primary foods which is what you
0: can recognize
1: yeah foods that yeah. don't come in a packet yeah
0: yeah you know
1: that come out of the ground and come out of the paddock and and all in moderation do i drink alcohol hell yeah i do but again it's in moderation and and um you know i save it for social occasions um but i do find when i eat high refined carbohydrates my body starts to hurt more my fatigue levels definitely increase and my cog fog comes back like you wouldn't believe so um you know, I have an 80-20 rule. If I'm out somewhere and I'm out for dinner, you know, I might lash out and have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But um, I'm intolerant to so many different foods anyway, so that helps, right? You know, I'm intolerant to lactose and wheat and
0: caffeine. So, you know, that rules out most of the good foods. Do you see a, um, have you seen a, nutri- like, you, like you said, you work in the weight loss industry. Have you seen a nutritionist to figure out what works best for you in terms of food? Uh, no, my body tells me what's Yeah, best. yeah. What's so you this? just know that you're intolerant to dairy and gluten and... and um. No, I'm not gluten intolerant. I'm just intolerant
1: to wheat.
0: Oh, wheat. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, you know, if I eat wheat, I end up looking like I'm nine months pregnant. And yeah. I keep over in pain. If I have lactose, I'm sitting on the toilet or I get a migraine. If I yeah. eat oranges, I get a migraine. Oranges. If I eat chocolate, I get a migraine.
0: Oh, chocolate. I haven't
1: no. had a cup of coffee in 29 years. Wow. Or Not t- even decaf? No, because decaf still has. Um, still caffeinated, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So no, I I've, never, I've never had a Red Bull. I've never had a mother. I've never had wow. a tiramisu. Easter's about the only, only time of the year where
0: it gets a little bit difficult.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. And yeah. I don't eat desserts here at restaurants because there's never anything on the menu that I can have. Because
0: so. they're all just full of sugar or
1: wheat. Yeah, or, or chocolate. or oh, and, yeah. And dairy. So, um, yeah. yeah. There's still plenty of other stuff that you can eat and, and enjoy. and. And, you know, to eat a little bit of that food will make me sick for days and it's like, well, no, quality, you know, what's my quality? So um, I'd rather get out and do things and, and live life. So,
0: yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so you said if you eat some of those things, you notice your cog fog comes back. How do your symptoms show up daily now?
1: Uh, so fatigue is a daily, daily thing um, and it always has been. It's just the degree of it. Um, as soon as I get an infection of any kind whatsoever, even before I realise I've got an infection, my walking is affected, my fatigue is affected and my cog fog um, comes back Um yeah, so they're three of the most primary things. And the first thing my um, neurologist, and I have an amazing neurologist now, um, will say to me, have you got an infection? It's like, go and see if you've got a UTI, which is common yeah. occurrence with, with us. Um, and I could have one and not even realise that it's still lingering on. You know, Ural doesn't fix U- UTIs. It just hides the symptoms. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't realise that. So Yeah. Um, And I I think
0: so often those things are the things that don't get spoken about. You know, it's easy to see if someone's having a hard time walking. As we always talk about, it's those invisible things that other people can't see. But UTIs are so common and I would would get them quite a lot. And one of the things that my urologist told me is I need to drink more water, which is awful because I go to the toilet so often anyway.
1: So if you sip water and don't guzzle it,
0: now right. I just if have you, to go to the toilet all the time. In day,
1: if you sip through the day, it'll actually help. But if you drink a big glass of water in one hit, um, that actually stirs your bladder up more. But yeah, if you yeah. No, that-
0: I've tried all the things. I just have to go to the nah, toilet all the time. Um, which is fine because my friends are like, oh, there she goes. I'm like, Yep. <laughs> Um, how you know are there things that you can do like you, you know you're dealing with fatigue all, all of the symptoms what are some things that you can do to manage those every day
1: um I have really good support workers you know I I'm on the NGIS and um I use the spoon theory and you know I do what I can do I don't push myself I get someone else to do it I outsource yeah. and that means that I can do the things that I really enjoy doing and that I want to do um, without feeling guilty. I mean, I'm extremely busy with everything in my life. And there is downtime, you know, there is time where I'm on the on the lounge with my feet up and throughout the day. And um, you know, I plan things in my in my planner. If I'm gonna have a busy day the next day needs to be a quiet day, or I my body will just react. But, you know, in the same token, I, I will push myself to the point where I crash and burn. And everyone's like, see, we told you. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be right. I'll be right. Yeah.
0: So, um, I've got two questions there. Firstly, I want to ask about things that you get your support workers to do that you don't do. Ah,
1: okay. Or choose not so, to do. Okay. Or can't do
0: physically. Or can't do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so I have a gardener and a maintenance guy. Um, so they come in and do mow my lawns and pull out all the weeds and, and stuff like that. Um, I have someone that comes in and cleans my house every week, does my washing for me and my ironing, um, takes me shopping if I'm having a bad day, um, or go and pick up stuff for me. Um, if I can't get out of the house, um, what else do they do for me? um pretty much at the moment my studio needs cleaning out so I've had a support worker in helping me do that because I'm physically unable to do it all myself um and I've had someone help me organize my garage someone help me organize the linen cupboard you know clean out the pantry once every 12 months wash the windows in the house um little odd repairs around the house yeah stuff like that
0: Uh, yeah and how do you find them? Like how where do you find these people who are your support workers?
1: A lot of it's word of mouth. Um, I talk to other MSs who they're using um, online. Um, I run a support group on Facebook called Supporting Each Other with MS in Australia, and I started that uh, 11 years ago next yeah, month. wow. Like oh, years wow. Ago next I've
0: month. never heard of the group, so that's awesome. I'll find it and pop a link in the show notes for people. Yeah,
1: that would be great. It was the first one. There wasn't any. So when I was diagnosed, um, I couldn't talk to anyone. Yeah. We didn't have the support networks that we do now online, um, and I looked and and in Western Australia there just wasn't any and I'd gone from a really social job to being stuck at home with four walls so I um started my own
0: yeah and we're
1: now sitting on about 760 um, members and there there's no carers it's only those of us that are diagnosed um in Australia so no no one overseas is in it there is a um Uh, process that you know questions and that that you've got to answer to go into it so um, but yeah you know support workers whatever you can't do yourself and you need doing you need to swallow your pride and get someone in to do it because then your quality of life improves again
0: Mm. yeah I had a revelation this week and I think I spoke about it in the last um, a couple of episodes ago but about using mobility devices because it's something I've been avoiding but again it's the same thing if you can't do it and it's going to in- improve your quality of life, use the mobility scooter because then you can do the other things that you want to do. And I get
1: that. It's like you're losing your independence but in the same token you're actually gaining. Gaining your independence,
0: yeah. I, yeah.
1: Have, I have mobility devices. I've got um, my walking stick, Fred, and then my wheelchair is Miss Molly and then my scooter is Richard and you can work that one out. yeah. <laughs> And, you know, and I and I use them um, when need be. They're there that on my worst days I can use them. I mean, I used my walker only a fortnight ago. I'd overdone it. Yeah. And my right leg went, no, girlfriend, you're not moving at all. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to have a support worker meet me at home to help me get out of the car. And I had to use my um, walker for the afternoon And then with rest and I had an infection, um, so that brought it all on and that was a sinus infection, so, um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I also wanted to ask about things that you're doing now. So obviously you had to finish up your job um, which was your dream job. Um, but from what we spoke about before we started recording is you're doing some bloody amazing things now. So. I think I'm busier now than when I was actually working
1: for yeah. someone else. So, um, yeah, look, 10 years ago when I was diagnosed, my neuro said to me when I had to stop work, because um, it's hard when you can't count and you've got to give back money uh, to people. Um, uh, you better find a hobby, he said to me said, find a hobby, you can have a lot of time on your hands. I went, oh, well, I've always wanted to learn how to paint. But my anxiety was so high through the roof that I'd drive to the um, the art studio and I'd sit out the front. And I even knew the woman that run it. She was one of my previous Weight Watchers clients. And I could not walk in through the door. Um, so it took me about four months to pluck up enough courage. And I walked in through the door and I took to it like a duck to water. And um I really don't know where I'd be now without art in my life. So, you know, I'm teaching art wellness classes to other um, people with disabilities and I'm about to expand to five days a week um, and put um, some uh, other teachers on uh, because I physically can't do it um, all myself. So I've recognised that. And, yeah, you know, I've got my own gallery, which is part of Cafe Zoo in Drysdale, and I can say hang up to 40 pieces of work on there. I've just finished writing my first children's book, and I'm in the process of illustrating that. And hopefully that, well, it will be launched in October, so I've been uh, busy doing that. I'm now a resilience coach and speaker and um, I'm developing a resilience course online for people um, to sign into and that will be up and going by August um, as well. So, you know, if, if you'd said to me 10 years ago, you know, I thought I was in my dream job, well, no, because this is actually, you know, life didn't stop just because I became disabled and it doesn't stop you just have to look beyond and adapt to what your body's now telling mm. you what you can and you can't do.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That um what an amazing array of things to be able to um I suppose, put on your resume that you don't need anymore. Um, but, yeah. I am my own, I am my own boss. Um, yes. I,
1: I, and I have another business that's taking off as well, and that's called Van Gogh Decals, and um, that's my artwork on big um, decals for caravans, camper vans, mobility oh, wow. scooters and wherever else. I've got one of my clients is walking around with a big frog on her wheelchair. And, oh, um, wow. So wherever else I can put them, you know, because yeah. Our scooters are so bloody boring. You know, let's keep them up a bit. So, can you you
0: find them on Instagram? Not yet. uh, Uh, Yeah. But you will. Don't worry. All right. Well, one day when it's on Instagram, I'll share it in the um, months. It'll be up
1: by the end of the year. Yeah. So, awesome. so there's lots of things, lots of things happening, and a big driving force for me was like, you know, I've been on the disability pension and I'm, you know, coming off it now, and I wanted to be financially independent again and not be reliant um, on anyone else. So that was that was my thing um, that I wanted residual income to come in because when I stopped work ten years ago. I didn't qualify for any um, Centrelink benefits um, until um, my fiance left me because of the MS, and I went, well, that's going to change. So, yeah. um, you know, nine years I've been working out. Okay, well, what can I do? What my what will my body allow me to do? What will my mind allow me to do um, to generate some income? So.
0: Yeah. Can I ask you about your fiance leaving because of yep. your MS? Yep. that sounds really tricky because we all know that stress is uh, not what we need. But no. also, um, you know, people worry a lot, and there's a lot of statistics about um, relationships breaking down after diagnosis. Yep. Um, you know, you talk about him as your fiance, so obviously you didn't get ma- to get married.
1: No, um, we didn't. So. Yeah. Um, We got engaged when my vision first went blurry and um, then we moved. So that was in August, 2009. And then we moved over to Victoria in December, 2011. So I was diagnosed in the March, 2011, moved over here in the December, 2011. He still worked over in WA and um, he had an affair um, and, Turned around and said, "Me having MS would affect his goals and dreams in life." See you later. Yeah. Well, so he he left and he left and because he was he was my everything, um, financial support, emotional support, all of it, and he just wasn't capable of 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 doing all that. And it was unfair to him at the time as well. I mean, it was an extremely difficult time for both of us. Um, and that was his path. I mean, I, I don't hate him uh, because of it. I did for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that was his path. And he he didn't have the capabilities or the strength to to walk that journey with me. So, um, yeah, it, it was very, very difficult, very, very difficult. And, um, yeah, it, it probably would have been easier if he hadn't turned around and said that to me.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, because if it was having an affair, that's reason enough really.
1: Yeah, that was reason enough. Yeah. <laughs> to say to me, well, you know, it's because of your MS. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any control over this. So. Yeah.
0: And then you were in Victoria, were you on your own over here? No, I had a 14-year-old daughter. Yeah, right. So, it was, well, I mean, sorry, you had your 14-year-old daughter in terms of a support network over uh, this so side.
1: So I've, I've got a very small family over here. Oh, right, uh, okay. Yeah, which is why we moved. I was born in Geelong, sorry. Yeah, there you go. Uh, moved back um for family. Yeah, yeah, because of the MS. So and that and that was another thing. I never wanted to leave Perth. I mean, I loved Perth. Yeah. Like there for about eight, nine years and um, yeah, absolutely loved it. Loved the climate. And that was a funny thing, like the neurologist in Perth said, Oh, you better move to somewhere where it's cooler. Well, I'm one of the ten percentile that Who likes it, the heat. I cold, and I'm yeah. I thrive in summer. Um, but yeah, and I moved to Victoria, one of the coldest places in Australia. So yeah, you, know, you make do. You make do. I have the heater going constantly, which is you know my clients come in here and they're heat affected, so oh. I was trying to find the balance for them and for me. But I'll sit right under the heater with it on. And, yeah, wow. And, uh, it oh. is. Is so yeah, my consumables in my NDIS are all like electric throw rugs
0: and electric jackets and, and all of that. So, yeah, what's the best thing you've got from your like having the support from the NDIS or the best thing that you think that you get from that? All of it, everything, yeah, everything because it all. As long as your goals are
1: set, so some of my goals are I want to return to weightlifting. So mm-hmm. I, I, um, I started weightlifting in like 2001 and did all-round weightlifting and then powerlifting and then I competed in 2013 uh, in powerlifting in disabled bench, so after I was diagnosed with EMS. And then went to my coach when I was training for that, oh, I might try uh, Olympic weightlifting when this is over. So I did. And I ended up as the Victorian state champion for my age and body weight um, and competed against able-bodied women, not disabled um, women, obviously. So um, one of my goals is to return back um, to powerlifting because in – 2016 17 um all right so hang on 2010 2011 i was diagnosed with ms 2013 14 and 15 i had heart surgeries wow 2016 i was diagnosed with a condition called Lavidio reticularis so i was going purple whoa 1000 and my doc my gp went don't worry about it if it's still happening come back in 3 months uh uh-uh. uh no it went for second opinions um then in september 2016 i was diagnosed with melanoma then in december 2016 i was diagnosed with mixed cryoglobulinemia i had too much protein in my blood and that was causing so much inflammation it was choking me Internally, I had decreased lung capacity. I couldn't bend my fingers. I couldn't bend my toes. And then in um, January 2017, I was diagnosed with chronic lymphocystic leukemia and small lymphocystic lymphoma. So I had three primary cancers at once. So I had to stop weightlifting from 2016 through to 2018. Um, but I'm back training. When I walked, I had a major relapse at the end of 2017, or it was a reflare, actually, not a relapse. Um, and I couldn't walk at all. I wow. spent nearly three weeks in hospital learning how to walk again and definitely used every mobility aid that I had. I'm now back walking um, and I weight train three days a week with a personal trainer because one of my NDIS goals is to compete again and so NDIS pays for my my training yeah. um, from that. Yeah, and I so, think
0: that's the part of the key of NDIS is making sure your goals are really specific to what your goals are that's right yeah Yeah.
1: Yeah. and one of mine is to remain independent in my home yeah um, in a clean healthy invigorating environment so you know you've really got to think of your goals yeah much into that goal as you possibly can and now because I've been on NDIS since it first started and you know I've seen all the the progression through I think I'm on to my ninth plan
0: yeah
1: and um yeah, so it's a matter of making sure that you know you can have four, five, six, seven goals now, whereas we could only have a couple of goals when we yeah. first started. Um, yeah. but yeah, look, I'd be lost without it. it, it yeah, it, me too. It's just uh, it, we are very, very grateful.
0: Yeah, yeah, that we, are, that we yeah.
1: have it. Yeah, you know? and the resource is there for us to use to make again our quality of life better.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: and it sure
0: does. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I had the afternoon had um, a support worker come around this afternoon who helped me tidy and um, cook some meals for the next few days because my husband works away for two or three nights of the week. So it means that I can be with my son and not have to worry about cooking dinner or whatever. Um, And it makes such a difference. It means I'm eating healthy, good food rather than eating Chocolate. Well, I don't eat chocolate biscuits, <laughs> but eating biscuits for lunch, which is something that I have been known to do. Um,
1: well, yeah. Well, I, I get my meals. Um, I buy pre-made pre, pre um, made meals. Yeah. And NDIS helps, you know, that. Some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. 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 so, you know, I'm here by myself. So, you know, it's some days. cooking up a whole meal, a whole yeah. yeah, I don't want to be eating the same thing six times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where's the nutritional content in that? Yeah. Um, but, you know, some days it's just easier to put something in the microwave for three or four minutes. And oh, can most days it that. is. That yeah. spoon theory as yeah. well, um, yeah, not you know, going out to the shops to – to buy groceries and then coming home and unpacking them, I was like, "Oh no, that'll wipe me out." So yeah. in instead, you know, and I still have a really good party life and and stuff like that. But don't plan anything on a Sunday if I've been out Saturday night.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, I can barely walk. My feet are on fire. I'm hobbling, and uh, yeah. I don't let the world see me too much when it's like, yeah,
0: yeah. fade up, watch a movie. You know, yeah. listen to some music, read a book. Yeah,
1: Yeah. But you know, I've been on all the the disease modifying therapy drugs that my mum didn't have the opportunity mm. um, to go on. So yeah,
0: and I think that's the, such a difference between you know when you're first diagnosed and you were dreading what was to come because you'd seen it growing up. Yeah, this huge difference is the accessibility we have to things like the NDIS and support workers, but also the the, the therapies, the drugs, the the medication we have access to now yeah. and every day or you know they're coming out with new options all the time i hope so because i'm not on any at the moment oh wow and how does that how are you how long have you not been on anything
1: well uh since 2016 now yeah um unfortunately now i don't want to scare anyone because everyone is different all right but the fine print does say um that it can give you cancer yeah And that's how I ended up. They're pretty sure that's how I ended up um, with the cancers, having three cancers at once. Yeah. Uh, Again, because they're disease-modifying therapies, they actually modify your immune system. And if you have a genetic predisposition to something, um, it can come through. And in my case, the three cancers that I had, I could trace back through to the genetics through my family on both, you know, either side, um, yeah. the lymphoma and leukemia on my dad's side and the um, melanoma on both sides. And so I, because I did 12 months of, of chemo and another product called rituximab, which they sometimes give to MSs, um, but it's so expensive. They don't tend to give it here in Australia, but they do in Sweden.
0: Yeah.
1: Um it's the big brother to um, octopus.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. right. But, yeah.
1: but I had it in mass doses. Um, the chemo wiped out my immune system. So effectively, I've had um, HS, HSCV. Yeah, the stem cell. Yeah, yeah. Um, without having to go to Russia it, and it without it. the stem cell replacement. So it's taking a long time for my immune system actually to to come back. That's why I get so many infections. Yeah. So I am on a thing called um, SCIG, which is a subcutaneous um, immunoglobulin. And prior to... Um, covid i used to go in hospital every four weeks for an infusion but when covid hit last year in march they went oh you're gonna have to learn how to do it yourself so i um do an infusion at home um, normally on a wednesday afternoon and put three needles into the stomach and hook up a pump and and put it in that way but i don't have any t cells yeah um, and i've got limited b cells so that's how the, the majority of the MS drugs, are, they work on controlling your B cells and your T cells. So there's no point in me going back on them yeah. at um, this particular uh, point. But um, every six months I have to go in for an MRI. Um, I was down to 12 monthly, two yearly, but now because I'm not on anything.
0: Um, just I just want to I- keep an eye on it.
1: That's the only way, unless I develop a new symptom, um, that we can check and see if it's progressing. And then if it is, then I have to see what's available on the market that will actually, my system will actually um, tolerate. So so that's why I'm very careful about what I eat and um, lots of exercise and mental health as well. Um, You know, NDIS pays for my counseling um, weekly, Uh, fortnightly I go in. Um, because I don't have anyone else to talk to. So um,
0: yeah. it's
1: not my children's responsibility to hear, um, you know, mum's having a shitty time. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, um, so, you know, I've outsourced that and, you know, c- taking care of your mental health is equally important
0: as important. Yeah, absolutely. Mental health, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. What a, what a, a story you've got, hey? Yeah i'm Um, writing a book oh there you go um (laughs) like you need to write your story i am i'm up to 1999 the last two questions i'd love to ask everyone is tell me the best thing to have happened because of your ms uh i got ms wow that's such a great answer
1: yeah yeah, I have some amazing people in my life because I've got MS. Yeah. Because I was diagnosed with it. It changed my whole perspective in life because I got MS.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, I'm able to help far more people than what I've ever been able to help. So.
0: And the last question that I would love to ask is what is something you'd tell people to make MS more understood?
1: Um. Have you ever had a really bad headache or migraine? And Me? most people, no, oh, I, see no what I, I, I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever had a really bad headache or migraine and people don't believe that you've got it? Imagine walking around every day and that's what it's like. Oh,
0: there you go. Yeah.
1: Because most people have had a really bad headache or, you know, a migraine sufferers. How does it feel when people don't recognize that you've got that headache? Well, that's what it's like with us every single day. We walk around with an invisible illness because the majority of us now don't go into wheelchairs mm. um, because of the um, disease modifying therapy, um, but we still live in pain. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's what I would say to someone,
0: yeah, thanks. And that's what I do say
1: to. to <laughs> I've
0: been an MS
1: ambassador for six years, so
0: yeah, yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time with us this afternoon and um, sharing your incredible story on the MS Understood podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for your time, Cliff. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of MS Understood. You can find Justine on Facebook at Just Art, Justine Martin Artist, J U Z T Art. You can find her. Australian MS support Facebook group at supporting each other with MS in Australia. You can find me on Instagram at Claire O'Reilly or MS understood podcast. The best thing you can do is to click follow on Spotify, subscribe on your other podcast listening platforms and leave a review. Cause that really helps other people to find the podcast. I'm always looking for new guests for the MS Understood podcast. If this is you or someone you know, please send me a message via either of my Instagram accounts. In an effort to make sure we've got equal representation, I'd love to hear from any members of the LGBTIQ plus community, our black and BIPOC community, or any men willing to share their stories of living with multiple sclerosis. Thanks again for listening and please share this episode with someone you think it might help.